And it's a break from the normal Sunday morning service where we go verse by verse through the Bible. And we deal with a hot topic or an apologetic issue of our time. And there's a lot going on right now. And we're going to pray in a moment. When we pray, we're going to lift up what's going on in Afghanistan and so many things that are going on in the world. But we have a very special evening tonight with, with some very special guests. I say plural because Mirko is going to make his way up. Mirko, there's a microphone for you right down there. Would you welcome Mirko? Is that on? See if it's on. Doesn't he look good in aqua blue? <laughs> now, how do you say your last name? Duvniak. Duvniak. Was that close? That was very good. <laughs> All right. So, Mirko is up here for a couple of reasons. One, I just want you to see how handsome he is. But he actually leads our salt and light ministry. And our salt and light ministry is really to help educate us on how to make a difference in the culture. And Mirko, you're going to have a table in the courtyard, but there's something else. There's another reason that we wanted you to be up here tonight. Your family came from the former Yugoslavia. Yes. From a communist regime. Yes. And I want you to tell just the people in a couple of minutes a little bit about you and your background and then about Salt and Light. Roger. Well, I, um, just so you guys know, I was not born in America. I was actually born in England, but my family... Uh, Yugoslavia, like many countries in Europe, uh, the eastern part of Europe, you know, Pastor Christians from Romania, I mean, there's Czechoslovakia, Poland, Hungary, you know, the list goes on. So during the Second World War in Yugoslavia, in addition to the Second World War going on, there was also a civil war going on between the forces that loyal to the king, which my dad was part of, and the communists who were under Tito. Well, Early in the, in the war, the uh, British royal family <clears throat> actually was uh, somewhat related to the uh, Serbian royal family. So they were supporting our King Peter. And uh, Stalin, over the years, had gotten his guys to you know, do the right whisperings and the changes in the government and all that. So the aid shifted from the king over to Tito and the communists. And then after the war, you know, they made all these big promises. Oh, there's going to be free and fair elections. People can choose. Free, free. free. Yeah, everything free. Yeah, right. That's why the, the cheese in the mousetrap is free for a reason. <laughs> so anyway, the communists ended up taking over, and my family had to get out. And what it ended up being, just the way this place is organized here with these sections, from here over, all of you guys are going to Canada, whether you like it or not. You guys are all going to England. You guys are all going to America. You guys are all going to Australia. But if your family happened to be sitting just for, that's it. You were going here and they were going there and that's what happened to me. So uh, anyway, I grew up in the Chicago area in the Northwest Indiana. And uh, there's a big Serbian community, there's a big Romanian community, a big Polish community, you know. Italians too. And Italian, <laughs> si, signore. <laughs> be nice to me, because I got some uncles that could show up at your door. <laughs> I have no doubt. <laughs> so lately, okay, so I did not grow up in the old Yugoslavia. I visited there once after the war in the late 90s. And just, okay, I'm here seeing things progressing as they go along. I was in the army. I retired from the army a few years ago. One of my old army, army buddies is here, and we were in Afghanistan together. 
But um, and thank you for your service, by the way. And believe me, we I had it easy. There were a lot of guys who really had to do the, the heavy lifting, if you know what I mean. So anyway, just seeing over these years, especially these last few years, the kinds the kinds of changes and the speed of these changes that are all happening. I'm serious, my not just my antennae were up, but I was getting, you know, my spider senses were tingling even. I yes. mean. <clears throat> and honestly, okay, there are, you know, you can look at some people, you think that these people are my enemies. They, we have a bigger enemy, you know, the master strategist. Satan is alive and well. And uh, I just feel like these tentacles are starting to wrap themselves all around, uh, you know, in education, in entertainment, and the whole culture, really. Everywhere, 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 yeah. And you call yourself the scout. And I know you like to collect information and pass it along. And you have a group that you uh, write emails to. And uh, you lead our Salt and Light ministry. And I think we could talk for the next hour. And it would be a great talk. But you're going to be out in the courtyard. because we'll be in the foyer. In the foyer. And, and I just want to say really quick, I, I, ha I have a neighbor who goes to a different church in Orange County. And they did an all-day seminar on some of these topics. And I asked him, about, you know, a lot of powerful speakers. I said, what was your main takeaway? And he said, my main takeaway was we got to get involved at a local level to make a difference. And I do see that happening. There's kind of a, a groundswell of people speaking up, which is good. Um, so this is a way that people could get involved with the Salt and Light Ministry, which is really about education and mobilization uh, to make a difference in our communities with school boards and city councils and just, just being salt and light. So I'm going to give you 30 more seconds just uh, anything that you would say, or how can the people get more information? You know, we will have, uh, soon there'll be more available on the church website and app. And if you want to know more, we will be at the table. I'll be out at the table. We have some signups. Uh, we could use some help because there's going to be more work to do very soon. So if you're interested in these sorts of things, please come and see us after the, uh, the presentation. Thank you, Mirko. God bless you. All right. So a little housekeeping. Um, if you're new to Living Truth, we want to welcome you tonight. And I know there are several different fellowships represented, but one church. We are one church, brethren. So welcome. We are glad that you're here. Just a little housekeeping. Uh, the restrooms are out the main sanctuary doors or out those doors, wrapping around the hallway, and they're basically right here. Men's and women's are, are basically right here. So if you need a restroom, go ahead and just e exit out. There is a single restroom over here but it's often occupied, so you can just make your way down the hallway. I would encourage you to silence your cell phone, but keep it on because the way that you can ask a question, and we're going to have a 30-minute Q&A at the end of this presentation, is through the church app. So there it is up on the screen. You can download it quickly for free from the App Store if you don't have it. And here's what you do. So you're going to click on that cross icon at the bottom right, and then it's going to take you to 633 Q&A. You can submit an anonymous question if you'd like. And uh, just go ahead and type it in. And it will go to the guys in the back. And the guys in the back will then put it on the screen for us when we do the Q&A time. And we'll do our best to get to every question that we can tonight. Also want to let you know that we do have a live stream audience. And I'd like to welcome people from all over the country who have tuned in, who have heard about this. 
And also, for all of you who are listeners to Walk in Truth Radio, how many of you came as a result of Walk in Truth Radio? Raise up your hand. We have a few here. So welcome tonight. We're glad you're here. And we're excited to share this information with you. Uh, Pastor Christian Ionescu uh, is going to come up to the platform. So let's welcome Pastor Christian. I want to just quickly, as he's making his way up here, share some, something that hopefully will be an encouragement if you weren't here this morning. So I'm teaching through the book of Exodus, and we went back and forth and figured out a date through the help of Mirko that was just up here to get Pastor Christian here from Chicago. And uh, it worked out by the grace of God. And as I'm moving verse by verse, I came across the final uh, verse of Exodus 15, where it talks about this place called Elam. It was a place of abundance. It was right after Mara, the bitter waters turned sweet, and Israel had a little rest and a chance to refresh and all of that. And as I was studying that, it just rang a bell, but it's only a handful of times in Scripture. And it rang a bell because I realized that on the very day that I was preaching this morning on Elam, the man up here pastors Elam Romanian Pentecostal Church in Chicago. And I'll tell you, folks, the hair on my arms went up because I was like, how many things had to happen for that to work out? That's just God. I think God's saying to us, Pastor, I know where you're going. I know where you've been. I will go before you. I will make the way. And we're so glad that you've made your way out here to Southern California to speak to us. So everybody, a big welcome for Pastor Christian Ionescu. Praise the Lord. Thank you, uh, Pastor Lance and the Living Truth Church for having me. Um, it is an honor, and I thank you for this opportunity. Uh, I bring greetings from Elam Romanian Pentecostal Church in uh, Chicago. Now, before I say anything else, um, just a, a little excuse me. I apologize in advance for my English as a second language. Um, at times, my heavy accent, uh, maybe some mispronunciations, uh, but all in all, I think you're going to understand me uh, pretty well. Uh, as a matter of fact, I used to live in uh, Southern California um, from 87 when we came to the United States until 1991 when we moved to uh, the East Coast. And um, I have here parents, brothers, sister. Uh, one of my daughters is uh, residing here in Southern California. So anytime I uh, come down here, I'm feeling at home. It is one of my most favorite places on the planet. So uh, God bless you. And uh, let's share a few things uh, tonight. Um, I uh, came from Romania as a refugee religious refugee. Uh, that was our status on our uh, visa, acceptance visa from uh, the United States Embassy in Bucharest. And um, uh, we had quite a nice experience um, coming to America. As a matter of fact, we were flying um, in a plane from Denver to Sacramento. And um, they offered us uh, drinks, uh, 
Coca-Cola, Pepsi-Cola, whatever, they, and some snacks, and we refused because we thought it cost something, and we didn't have dollars. So um, the flight attendants would just come over and over again and offer us. My wife learned English in Romania. Uh, but you know the difference between learning words and how to put them together and expressions, phrases. And so one flight attendant got it that we don't want to spend money on it. They understood why we didn't want anything. So she looked at my wife and said, it's free. So I said, what did she say? Now you know free means no cost, and free means being free. So she said to me, she said, we are finally free. We, we came to this country and we are free. So no Coke, no Pepsi for us. Um, now, let's get into it. We're on the brink in this country. And coming from a communist country, it's easy for us to see. We are immune to the propaganda that is going on in this country. We've seen it all before. And um, there are some myths about communism. Uh, a lot of young people are falling for them. First of all, that communism is about equality. And in some sense it is, but not the way you would like it. Uh, it is about equality on the poverty side, not on the higher levels of prosperity. It, it is bringing everybody down, not lifting everybody up. It destroys the motivation for exceptionalism, creativity, and hard work. It does not pay. In communism, it doesn't pay to work hard, to be creative, to be exceptional. Uh, it does not motivate the charitable spirit of the people to voluntarily distribute or redistribute some of the wealth to the less fortunate. Uh, it confiscates by force. And uh, we have institutions in this country very well prepared to do that. Um, it creates an elite of incompetent, immoral, intolerant snobs bent on preserving their unmerited privileges at all costs. There is no compassion and no tolerance in communism. There's another myth and uh, it, circle, uh, it, it goes into the religious circles. Uh, it is one of those tentacles that the brother uh, talked about before. Communism is biblical. Some even believe that Jesus and the apostles were communists, and that's false. The Bible never condones taking other people's possessions by force. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? They were punished by God because of the lies and the hypocrisy. And the apostle Peter said to them, it was your property. You could have done any way you wished with it. You didn't have to bring it to the church. Um, but because you lied and you wanted to project the work of the Holy Spirit in your lives. Uh, where it was just to appear to have the changed nature. 
that created that uh, charity in the Church of the Apostles or the Apostolic Church. Uh, that's why they were punished. Now, that short-lived experiment in the Apostolic Church um, of sharing and redistributing their goods didn't end very well if it was the work of the Holy Spirit, and it was the work of the Holy Spirit in a sense that it changed people's nature and they became charitable, and in their zeal for the Lord, they would bring all their possessions to the church. But the Holy Spirit never intended specifically for that to happen. Because if the Holy Spirit intended for that to happen, it would have kept going, and it would have been a success story. It was not a success story. They, so it created conflict in the church. They had to ordain the uh, deacons, which were filled by the Holy Spirit. But after a while, uh, they were jobless. They had to become evangelists and pastors and apostles uh, themselves. Uh, because that, that's what their calling was all about. Uh, so... If it didn't work very well in the church, in the apostolic church of all churches, how would it be possible in the world where human nature is not converted, is not changed in the image of Christ? And then uh, another myth is that communism is against religion. Uh, it creates an atheistic society. Now, yes, communism is against all other religions because communism is a religion. What do you need for a religion? You need a doctrine, and communism has a doctrine. You need a god or gods, and communism has gods or a god. Look at the propaganda in North Korea. Um, now, our leaders in our country were considered like gods. You couldn't speak against them. They were portrayed like the saviors of the nation. There was a messianic component in the propaganda about our leaders. So they had gods and they had worship. Now, listen, we were forced to learn songs and poems by heart. And our parents better made sure that we know our poems and our songs because it was trouble if we would go to class and we didn't know the songs. But trust me, if you've just replaced a few words like Ceausescu or party, the party, or socialism or communism with God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, you'd have worship songs on the platform. They would sing praises. They would use the word glory. They would even use the words worship in those songs and poems. And you had to learn them by the dozens Beginning at a very young age. And they were embedded in your memory, in your mind. 
uh, and then you would go to a TV program in Romania, we had only two hours per night, two hours of television per night, the main uh, state channel. And of those two hours, almost always one hour was reserved for aggressive communist propaganda. Uh, now, I know in America you have 24-7, and it's even worse because you have more hours of communist propaganda, socialism, in uh, America right now than we used to have in Romania. Now, listen, communism is about, number one, total control. You've heard about centralized government, centralized economy. Everything is dictated from the center, from a handful of people with total control over a society. The second goal, purpose of communism is taking over the whole world. They're not apologetic about it. They're going country by country, and they want to take over everywhere. Their dream is to impose communism without borders throughout the world. So nobody's spared. No country has high walls and strong borders to prevent communism from infiltrating that society. And thirdly, complete annihilation of all forms of opposition and parallel forms of authority. Now listen, communism only accepts one form of authority, the party, the Communist Party, with its doctrine, with its god or gods, and with its worship. How obsessed are they about it? Now, we know that we were created to worship. It's in our DNA. We cannot not worship. People have to worship. Even when we say, I'm not going to worship anything. You're going to worship something. And if you don't worship God, you will worship a shoemaker. In Romania, Ceausescu was a shoemaker. That was his education. He was an apprentice in a shoe shop. So they worship a shoemaker if they didn't want to worship the creator. But every form of parallel authority, other than their gods, is completely excluded persecuted, and annihilated. And I'm talking about parental authority. They would interrogate children to see if their parents at home would tell them otherwise than the party propaganda. Parents could not tell their children that communism is bad. I remember my father was... Uh, a nonconformist, and he hated communism uh, for all his life. And here and there, uh, he was bursting 
uh, with expressions like, these people are crazy, uh, they are satanic. And um, I remember he would listen at night to radio, uh, Free Europe and Voice of America, and um, he would tell us, these people are telling the truth. I can't wait to escape this country. Um, but we didn't say anything. We went at school and we kept our mouth shut because we didn't want our father to be arrested. And it could happen. Parental authority, then economical authority. Do you know why they hate small business? Not so much corporate, because uh, they're consolidating and there's just a few. And people are saying, oh, maybe they're not gonna touch us because we cooperate with them. And socialism infiltrated big corporations. They think they're exempt from communism. They don't know what's coming to them. You see, in Romania, they believe that too. In 1944, Romania was a monarchy, a powerful monarchy, successful monarchy, prosperous monarchy. The nickname of Romania was the breadbasket of Europe at that time. Everybody ate from the fields of Romania. Guess what happened? In 44, the Soviet army occupied Romania, imposed communism. 1947, they exiled the king. 1948, all the big corporations, all industry was nationalized. And by 1962, all land in Romania was state-owned in just a few years. And you know what the problem with Romanians were? They took them apart, segment by segment by segment. And everybody will say, let them do that to them. They're not going to do that to me. And in the end, they did it. But why do they have small business? Because there's too many of them. And guess what a small business owner is? He's a king. He's a king. He's an authority in his small place. And there's too many of them. And they can't have that. So I'm looking at this pandemic and I see how it can destroy small business because what do small business need? to survive. It needs constant operation, constant operation. When you interrupt that, you are destroying them. It needs continuous flow of opportunities, of jobs, of work. You interrupt that, you destroy them. So that might be one of the purposes of this crisis. Um, now, when I look at the big corporations and people that think, oh, communism will not touch us, we cooperate with them, we make friends with them, and in the end, everything is gonna be nice. Uh, this is satanic behavior, self-destructive behavior. You know, Satan knows he's gonna be destroyed, and yet, he's roaring against God. It's a self-destructive behavior. How can you embrace a philosophy that says you should be completely and they should confiscate all your possessions. How can you support such a philosophy? When you're a big shot in a big corporation, you own a house, maybe a business, maybe 
millions of dollars. And you embrace a philosophy that takes it away from you. That is a satanic mindset. And then we're talking about parallel forms of authority and now we get to the main target. It's spiritual. It's the churches. Churches are the biggest obstacles against communism. If their leaders and their members are true to the kingdom of God. And I'll tell you why. Because we are part of another kingdom, not this kingdom. We first obey God rather than men. And we don't see them as gods. We see them as men, sometimes crooked. <laughs> we don't need their gods. We have our God. And then we don't worship men. We only worship our Lord. So they hate us. They relegated us to the non-essentials. And we know that the survival of your soul is more important than the survival of your body. That's what the Bible says. Now in Romania, it took the Soviet occupation at the end of the Second World War. And it was the same with the whole Eastern Europe. Without the Soviet army, there would have not been communism in Eastern Europe. Many people look at the Western Europe and they say they are superior than people in Eastern Europe. The only reason those were capitalists and these were socialists was not the orientation, the predisposition of those nations. It was the Soviet army occupying them, forcing communism upon them. But in America, it's not that easy. How do you conquer America? How do you invade America? So it has to be done another way. And the first breach, remember that, the first breach in conquering the spirit of America, founded on the principles of the scriptures, don't believe the lies about the founders of this country. Yes, they were faulty men, like all of us are. But they were inspired by the Bible and by the biblical principles of the kingdom of God when they founded this nation. And it was a success story because God was behind it. I think that America was... A uh, bastion of freedom in the world and also an application of Archangel Michael in charge of reviving and preserving the land of Israel, the country of Israel. This country has a providential scope and purpose in this world. And the first breach was Evolution instead of creation in school curriculum. Teaching children that they are mere animals. Without a conscience and without a divine purpose. Then infiltrating the education system, the entertainment industry, the media. Through censorship and propaganda. And the religious organizations, big religious organizations infiltrated by 
the socialists, by the liberals, and by the globalists, doing the bidding of this demonic system, inciting divisions, gender. You know, the Bible, when it talks about gender, men and women, it talks about the perfect union they can do without each other. They drove a wedge between genders, and that is demonic. It had been first done in the Garden of Eden, when Eve was used by Satan to corrupt Adam, and then Adam blamed Eve, and you had the first discord in an institution created by God for, for, for the fulfillment of men. So gender. Racial, we all understand and we all know that we are all created in the image of God and we should love one another and there should be no racial and no ethnic discrimination in the world. But what they are doing, they're victimizing segments of society, telling them they're victims and they have no opportunity and that's a lie. And then they go on the other side to react to that, and these are wedges driven between races and between ethnic segments of this society. And then class warfare, rich against poor. There should never be such a war. There should never be such a war. You should teach the poor to take advantage of opportunities. And you should teach the rich to be charitable. And this solves the problems of the society, not pitting against them against each other, fighting as it happened in communist countries. Then they are controlling the narrative of what is acceptable and what is not. We're talking about political correctness. And it's the folly of social and political cannibalism. Um, you see the Me Too movement, and uh, they're cannibalizing their own people. They're throwing their own people to the wolves. Why? To gain, gain credibility. So if our own people are not safe, it means that we are really true to our principles, to our doctrine. But they're not genuine. They're not genuine. They're throwing to the wolves a little bit here and a little bit there, a name here, a name there. But listen. Their goal stays the same. This is just a gimmick. Just a strategy to gain credibility. You see, the Bible says that men can do without women and women can do without men. It would have been horrible if they could do it without each other. And what does Apostle Paul says? Uh, see, woman was taken from man and then Men are brought into this world through women. We cannot do without each other. So why do they have this uh, brutal and senseless propaganda that would pit uh, genders against each other? I, was, I already talked about that. Now, at best, they're exploiting crises. At worst, they're creating them and then exploiting them. Uh, communists, 
socialists, liberals, because liberalism became a hijacked concept and label used by communists, are always uh, hypocritical. And we saw that during this pandemic. Um, I would like to commend Pastor Lance and his staff and Living Truth uh, Church in Corona for standing up to the unconstitutional and tyrannical decrees of this government. <laughs> Unfortunately, there are religious leaders and congregations that are committing high treason against the kingdom of God and the Lord they should represent. We're not here to represent the government in front of the church. We're here to represent God and the church in front of the world. And we shouldn't do the bidding of the government, we should do the bidding of the kingdom of God and his church. Shutting down churches and replacing the in-person gatherings with online virtual activities is a death sentence for churches. And woe to all who say the church is supposed to survive that. Churches that abdicate their calling and the existential pillars of Acts 2.42 are no longer churches of Jesus. The lamp has been removed from them as warned in the letters to the churches in Revelation. But have faith and have hope. And I'm going to tell you why. Now, first of all, remember the head and the heel. The head and the heel. You know that the first messianic prophecy in the Bible talks about the head of the serpent and the heel the seed of the woman, which is Messiah, which is Christ. And I know this serpent is relentless and his head, uh, as he's crawling towards the heel of the Lord, is trying to sink in its teeth and bite and can't help it. It's dangerous to bite into the heel of the Lord, but it's the nature of the serpent and he cannot help it. So he's crawling, he's approaching, and he's getting closer and closer. And then his teeth is, are sinking in that heel, and it's painful. And the mindset of Christ was a mindset not of survival, but of suffering. That's what the Bible says. He came for that purpose. And when the serpent sank his teeth into the heel of Christ, at that very moment, painful moment... Terrible moment, tragic moment. The head of the servant, the serpent, was crushed. So don't be afraid of the head of the serpent. There, Christ was the heel. His human nature. Now, the church is the heel. And I can once again see the serpent crawling behind churches. And trying to find our heels to bite. And dear church of God, please don't be afraid. Don't be obsessed with surviving. The survival mode is a curse for the church. Is a curse. The Bible says that the apostles went all throughout the world. And they didn't have regard to their own lives and well-beings and possessions. They sacrificed it all. They had the mindset of Christ. And Christ said, 
If the world hated me, they will hate you. But believe that the very moment this serpent is biting the hill, his head will be once again crushed because we are walking in the victory of Jesus. And the head of the serpent is going to be crushed once again. Then remember the crucifixion and the resurrection. Not only the head and the heel, the crucifixion and the resurrection. Crucifixion is not desired. Even Christ said, Lord, your will be done, but if at all possible. Uh, but you know what? There is no resurrection without crucifixion. And if Jesus went through it, we ought to walk on his footsteps. And we might have to experience crucifixion on one way or another. If we're going to get to resurrection. Who wants to get to the resurrection? But there is no resurrection without crucifixion. There is no empty tomb without the cross. And the Bible says, Jesus said, we ought to carry the cross of Christ every day. And then, remember the martyrdom and the reward. Do you know that all the apostles had experienced martyrdom? And this is the path to glory. Through suffering and martyrdom. And I truly believe that these people think they're going to win. And from a human standpoint, human understanding, perception, they're winning and they will win. And it seems sometimes like we are fighting a losing battle, isn't it? The more we fight, the more we talk, the deeper it sinks, this country and this society. But listen, victory is not as it is perceived by this world. They thought they were victorious by putting him in a tomb. The victory is with Jesus and it is with his body in this world. We win this fight just because we fight it. We don't need to convert the whole world, even though we should try. We don't need to win governments, even though we should be everywhere without witness. We should fight. We should speak. We should witness through our lives. We should do it every day. We should do it all over the world. We should do it everywhere in every form of societal activity. Knowing that the end of the day, ours is the victory. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Would you stand for a moment, just stretch, and let's pray. Uh, we're going to segue to an interview here, uh, a personal interview, and then we'll get ready for our Q&A time. But let's, let's just lift up some of the things going on. Father, first of all, we just want to come before you and say thank you. 
for being our Abba. Thank you for being our Father. Thank you for the ultimate deliverance through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do want to lift up the people of Afghanistan right now and specifically pray for the church there, missionaries that are there, um, Americans that are there, and really any, any person that desires to get out, Lord, or is in harm's way. We pray for your mercy, Lord. And as we look at our nation, we just ask for your forgiveness because we can see, Lord, that our decisions matter, our worldview matters, how we do things matters, and it affects many people. And Lord, I'm, I'm just praying for your forgiveness over our nation and praying specifically for our state right now. We have an election coming up, and we're asking for your mercy over this state. This state was really founded with a bunch of missions preaching the gospel and how far we have... We've moved away from that, Lord, but that can be regained. There can be revival, and we want to pray over the state of California and just pray for your mercy over it. And Lord, when we think about the abominable things that are happening in your eyes all around this world, and especially in this country, we ask for your mercy. We ask that we would be part of the change, Lord, that we would be salt and light, that our influence would be strong. And while we yet have a window of time, we would be change agents in the world, first and foremost, by preaching the gospel, because the government isn't going to save us. Jesus saves. But Lord, we have a chance to vote in this society that you providentially landed here. And Pastor Christian was right to say that this nation has really been the one that's been the most outspoken ally of Israel that will always be near and dear to your heart. Forgive us for whenever we fail in that job, Lord. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for all that's going on. There's so many things to pray for, but, but right now I just want to thank you that we have been blessed to live in this land. It is the land of the free and the home of the brave. Help us to be brave in this hour. Give us ears to hear what you would say to your church in this hour. I ask your blessing on every family, every individual represented here, and those watching. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Well, Pastor Kristen, Christian, have a seat. Um, we wanted to do just a couple of minutes of a personal interview before we take questions from the congregation. And the first thing I was just going to mention is you were telling me that you've been married for 38 years. What's your wife's name? My wife's name is Doina. Doina. It's a specific Romanian name. Okay. And you have, get this, 10 daughters. Yes. So, did your hair turn color early in life, or? <laughs> I would like to put the blame on somebody else, but I think it's got to have something with my age. <laughs> <laughs> so, ten daughters, um, how many of them are married? Seven. So, you have seven that you, um, did you have to take out a loan for all those weddings, or what, what happened there? Actually, my sons-in-law were uh, wonderful. Did you take offerings or? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so you have, do you have three daughters still at home? Yes. Okay. And uh, do you have any that are living? Uh, so, so are they involved in the, the home church there yes. in Chicago? All of them were. Some of them moved in other okay. cities, but uh, six are still close to home and involved in church. Awesome. Well, that sounds like a wonderful family, and that, that's quite a blessing. Thank you. And um, 
You know, in thinking about your story and thinking about what happened with your family, you know, I wanted to ask you some questions about uh, what was going on in Romania. Um, you left in the 80s, and I don't want to give away your age, but I, I, don't, I don't think you'll have a problem with it. There's not a bunch of mathematicians out there, but <laughs> how old were you when, when your family finally left? And in addition to that, did the whole family immigrate to the U.S.? Yes, uh, my parents, uh, my other two brothers and one sister, uh, my wife and myself, and at that time we had three children. I was 24, now I'm 58. And, and you, you had mentioned your dad, and you said that your dad, you grew up in a Christian home, right? Yes. And you were saying that your dad was kind of seeing through things, and he was uh, seeing the propaganda. Was he the key motivator behind getting out and making sure your family was out of there? Yes, he was. And was there any danger that you guys faced in trying to get out of the country? Um, in Romania, if you are in a position of preeminence, just a little bit. Imagine I was 16, I was preaching in church, especially for the youth. And uh, at 16, they tried to recruit me. The, uh, the secret police tried to recruit me um, to be an informer. And I refused. And immediately, uh, they had a, an assembly in the high school. And um, they ostracized me. Uh, they were uh, using very bad words uh, to demean me. Um, so I got my uh, file, some of my files from the secret police a few years ago, and I was shocked that some of my colleagues and some of my so-called friends were informers. So when you live in such terror that you cannot speak your mind, uh, that people around you might betray you, I was talking about uh, driving a wedge between so many segments of society. That was very personal. They would employ your neighbors, your colleagues at work, at school, some of your family. Um, and it was a society of terror. Uh, there were so many informers working with the secret police. Not only that, I remember when I went with my parents to plead our case um, to the uh, leaders of the party in our district. And uh, they asked my father, so what did communism do, will do to your children? Kill them? And my father said, uh, I don't know if they're gonna kill them, but they're going to put a very low ceiling uh, on their opportunity to succeed. And it was also true, I could not go to a uh, superior education school. That, that turning in your friends and neighbors sounds chillingly familiar to some things that we've been hearing during this pandemic. Um, I heard an interview with a, a gentleman that's written a book on some of these topics, and he was saying that in China, they have now built a personal um, identification for every uh, Chinese citizen. And they get a number, uh, much like a credit rating, and your rating is based upon uh, whether or not you're buying into the communist uh, line in terms of attending meetings or websites that you visit. And they have a credit score. And he said part of the chilling reality of what 
is happening in China right now is that if, I, if you had a low score and I had dinner with you and they tracked my movement, my score lowers by spending time with you and vice versa. And this is happening right now in a communist country. How many of you have seen the little lady going around from, she grew up in China and she was just on Huckabee and she is saying very similar things to things that she saw as a little girl uh, that were happening in China as the country moved over to a communist regime. What, what would you say to people who say something like this? This is America, man. Uh, this, this could never happen here, the naysayers. And just to piggyback on that, what were the signs that you guys were seeing in Romania that you would say, this is why I'm talking about this because I see similar signs now? Now, of course, when communism came to Romania, I was not yet born. My father was uh, just eight, nine, ten years old. Uh, but once I met an older gentleman at my place of employment in Romania. And at that time, I was not filtered anymore. I would just freely speak. And I said to him, you accepted communism in this country. You brought it here. Your generation. Why did you do that? Did you think it would be good for you? And he said, no, we didn't. When Bolshevism... Uh, went in power in Russia. In Romania, they would laugh at it and say, Bolshevism, communism will never work in Romania. We love our king. We love our businesses. Uh, Romanians were entrepreneurs. They were hardworking. Uh, they have small businesses with only one employee, an employer. He was the employer. He was the employee. But they worked for themselves. They, they were very capitalistic. And uh, they said, communism will not work here. They brought it by force. Now we see in America, two or three generations that were converted to socialist ideas and ideals. And they're not apologetic about it. And they go into the government and they are in your face and they're saying, yes, we need communism. Yes, we need to confiscate from the rich. Yes, we need to give it to the poor. Yes, we need. And uh, I would think Americans would be up in arms and say, how can you say that in America? You see the propaganda on the media that is very sympathetic to these ideas. And you see them proclaimed from the White House, from the Congress, from the local governments. And uh, I'm immune to this. I see through it because I've heard it before. And one, th one thing that you're pointing out is really through the educational system, um, this has been really a doctrinal thing that's been pushed, and, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, now we've got you know critical race theory being taught um, everywhere. We've got all these ideas. And if you oppose these ideas, you're really painted in a certain way. And it's even infiltrating the church. And we'll, I'm sure a question is going to come up like that. But um, we think of the ed education system. We think of corporate America, which, you know, uh, not, so, not so long ago, um, it was almost unthinkable that these things could happen. But now corporate America embracing it. Big tech, 
uh, really uh, flexing their muscles, and so much so that even the former president was shut down and you know, couldn't even say what he was going to say. So just a lot of uh, eerily similar things going on. And we know we have a real virus and we have real issues going on out there, but the exploitation of a crisis, um, was there a similar uh, exploitation of crisis in Romania where they, uh, they grabbed more power and centralized it because of a crisis? Uh, we have to understand that communism thrived uh, on the threshold of the uh, two world wars uh, in the last century. It was the breeding ground for spreading communism throughout far Asia and Eastern Europe. Um, even in Russia, communism took roots uh, on the second part, in the second part of the First World War. So they exploited, what is war? It is famine, it is lacking, it is dying, uh, it's a mess. So this is where communism thrives. And this is why, uh, even in America, they created dependency. Because what is dependency? It is poverty. Dependency on the government creates poverty. And when you create poverty and de de uh, dependency, you create a class of people that, is, that wants what others have without putting in the effort. And I know it's not politically correct, but this is what happened in Europe. You, you said, and I think you said this at our lunch that we had on Friday, that if they could get a society into survival mode so that they would do whatever they have to do to survive, yes. that's typically what gets exploited. So that people will just do what they do and the government will ride in to rescue, if you will, but then leave you basically kind of on the margins. And we can see that right now in Cuba, where I think the average family gets like five eggs and a little bit of bread from the government. And, you know, we see uh, uprisings happening there. Everywhere where this has been tried, it has failed. And it, it blows my mind why people think that they can try to do it here and it's going to succeed. It, it's really, to me, ignorance. But um, in, in closing this little time together, uh, you want to piggyback on that thought or anything else that you'd want to share? Uh, when I am in a survival mode, all my efforts, all my thoughts are concentrated on how am I going to provide for my family today. I don't have time for politics. I don't have time for opposition. I don't do anything else than try to bring bread on the table of my family. And this is where they want everybody. On that threshold of survival, barely, mere survival. If they can do that, look at North Korea. How can you live in such poverty and being so destitute and not rebel? There is no revolution there because people are consumed with finding the next cricket or the next leave so their children and themselves are going to survive. This is the ticket of communist success, keeping people 
at mere minimum. I want to ask you about a question about the church, but I have a feeling it's going to come up in our Q&A time. But, but you did say that, because you kind of wonder in these, in these situations, well, wouldn't the church in Romania or any, any country where this happened rise up? But, and we'll, we'll just kind of wet their whistle with this. But you said that the church ended up getting infiltrated. And uh, once it was infiltrated and weakened, the church kind of lost its, its ability to even fight. And it was easy then to pick off the few remaining faithful churches. And if I heard you correctly, was it basically uh, agents that became leaders in the churches? Um, it was either... Uh, infiltrating the church or recruiting people from the church. And for when you have people on the survival mode, you give them just a little bit of a privilege, a little bit of an advantage, and they're going to do the bidding of the state police, of the government. Um, and they're going both ways. 30 pieces of silver? Absolutely. Or... Some people that could not be recruited, they were blackmailed, they were threatened, and either way, they would get some to cooperate. And it went top to bottom uh, at all levels of the church. Okay, so with that, <laughs> we are going to move to our Q&A time. So what we're going to do is we're going to put the questions up on the screen, and I'm going to kind of feed them to Pastor Christian. So guys, if you're ready back there, I'm hoping that you are. Um, go ahead and throw them up. So Pastor Christian, from your personal experience, how have you come to understand socialism and communism as a religion? As I've specified in my initial presentation, when you have a doctrine and communism is like a doctrine. They have their books, they have their Bibles, or Bible-like materials, the Red Book. They had their commandments. When you have God or gods, and when you have worship, that is the definition of religion. So when I would go through their manifestos, they even had chapters and verses when I had to learn worship songs, worship poems, which used words used in our worship to God, they are interchangeable. And when you look at a person, as I said, a shoemaker, a crazy person that is killing people by the millions, as Stalin did, don't forget, Hitler represented in Nazi Germany socialism, uh, national socialism with centralized powers. So it was another form of socialism. Uh, when you see these despots and dictators uh, and they act like they're gods, overlords of masses, uh, it is a religion. And you talk about you know, the satanic influence. There were people who watched Hitler speak and felt like he was demonically possessed at times. And he convinced a whole nation, really, to hate 
segments of the population and ended up blaming them for things. And that's why a lot of Germany, although there were people who fought back, including Bonhoeffer and others, uh, that's why so much of Germany just kind of went with the flow. And then you have basically 20 million dead, 6 million of which are Jewish people, all because he painted a narrative of blaming those people for the problems. And that's part of what the education or the indoctrination can do in terms of how it, it, it forms the narrative. And that's a scary, scary thing to think about. It is, it, it is a cult and cult-like. Uh, and you see the seduction of the masses. There is no seduction of the masses without the religious component. It has to have a religious component. When we talk about Marxism and socialism and the like, uh, my understanding is that Karl Marx said that God was the ultimate oppressor. Next to God, second on the list was the church. And third was parents. And so he wanted to free people from this oppressive God, you know, the opiate of the masses, free people from the oppressive church, and then the oppression of parents. So we're hearing a lot in the ideology that's going around. You talked about socialism and communism and Marxism being sister ideologies. But we hear a lot about this idea of oppressor and oppressed. But it just seems to me that that's part of what Marx was trying to do is basically supplant God's authority by saying he's the ultimate oppressor. So what you really need is humanism or Marxism. Is that is that accurate to say? Absolutely. And uh, now you have a man God oppressor. And uh, you remember David when he sinned and God gave him some choices. And David said, Lord, I'd rather be in your hands than in men's hands. I mean, if you feel like God is oppressive because he has some rules, even though they're for your happiness and for your survival uh, and uh, for your good, uh, wait till you fall in the hands of men and remember Hitler's Germany and remember Holocaust and remember the gulags and remember uh, the, the tens of millions dead in Russia, communist Russia. Let's go to the next question. We all have hope in God and trust in him, of course, but do you think there is any hope for the United States? It just seems like the ball is rolling downhill and gaining strength. And part of what we wanted to do tonight is give hope. And I, I heard an interview with someone saying that he interviewed people from different uh, uh, Soviet bloc nations and, and basically said that the hope was always the church finding strength and hope in the word of God. But here we are. We don't, I don't want to apologize to my coming grandchild uh, for just sitting and doing nothing, nor does anybody that's here tonight or watching. So do you, you know, and this is a hard question, but do you think that there's hope and, and uh, it does seem like, the, it, like things are moving at breakneck speed? If we are tying our future to this world, to prosperity in this world, to what can be good in this world, then we're going to be very disappointed. Because the Bible clearly states that this world will burn. Yes. If we tie our future 
and we are bound to eternity and to the kingdom of God, then is flying colors. And what are we in this world? We are an application of God's will for this world. And in our little corner, in our little perimeter, we should project the wisdom and the prosperity and the will of God for this world. Now, whether this is going to last or not, and for how long is going to last or not, it is not our in, within our power. But we have to do our job every day. And if we are prosperous today, we should seek ways to further the kingdom of God through whatever God is giving us. If we convert a person, if we convert a politician, if we can change a law, if we can change a rule, if we can expel a politician and elect a better one. We ought to do everything in our power to make this world better, not in a sense better in a secular way, but in a spiritual way. But at the same time, in the back of our minds, we should understand that we don't live for this world. And the Bible says if you are going to gain this life, you're going to lose it. And if you're going to lose it, you're going to gain it. So my problem is we are too obsessed about this world and about this life. Yes, we should do everything in our power to further the interest of the kingdom of God in this society, in this country, in this world. But at some point, anyway, we're going to give up. And I told one person, you're so afraid of losing your life. You're going to lose it anyway. <laughs> Make sure you gain eternity. Make sure you are a winner of eternity. I guess some of the irony of these, these movements is they say they're going to create a utopia uh, on earth, and they do just the opposite, right? But, but let me ask you something. How would we be better if we want to create a utopia in this world where nobody could do it, not even from a Christian standpoint? Right. Not even Christianity could create this utopia. We are servants in another kingdom. Amen. And it's a kingdom without borders, without limits, and it's an eternal kingdom. We look for... They're going to clap for you every time you say something. We are looking for new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. Jesus said, occupy until I come. And asked a question. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? On the earth? Let's go to the next question. What are examples of things that we can do as a church and as Christians in our community? This. What we're doing tonight? Yes. Plus, more uh, of it, all of it, as much as possible uh, in a congregational setting, in a personal setting. Uh, take this to heart. Uh, uh, Bring it with you every day in your workplace, wherever you learn, wherever you interact with people, and be bold. And don't expect to be a very good speaker. Don't expect to be a very good communicator. Just do the best you can. 
because it's not in our power anyway. Uh, as illustrious as we might think we would be, we cannot convince people. We just have to do it, and God will do the rest. And if, and if we are salt and light in our sphere of influence, this is what's going to make the difference. If, if God's people are salt and light where they work, where they live, in their communities, in their schools, Little League, whatever it is, uh, sharing the light and the hope of the gospel first and foremost, but also being up on these things and being able to make a cogent argument for what we believe and why, that's going to make a big difference. Okay, the next question. Can you touch on the vaccine mandate? Is the communistic, is it communistic in nature, especially in the case where people are losing their jobs because they are unwilling to be vaccinated? Uh, in our church, I've stated very clearly, if you want to take the vaccine, I'm not going to judge you, accuse you, but you don't need my help. But if your conscience is such that you do not want to take it, we're here to support you. Because this is what we stand for in America, freedom of conscience and religious freedom. I am suspicious because, first of all, and I'm not against uh, science, and I respect the medical community. I talked to a very good friend of mine, a doctor, and I said, what do you know? And he said, your guess is as good as mine. We don't receive uh, scientific information, we receive propaganda every week. Um, this is too rushed. Uh, by their guidelines, it would take at least seven years, up to 15 years of study. And very late in the process, they will bring human testing for a vaccine. Now, another thing. We know that usually government moves very slowly, if at all. And when the government is efficient <laughs> and at speed, I am very, very suspicious. I remember when they gave us vaccines in Romania, in communist Romania, in school, without parent approval, without anything. And we would stand in a very long line by, by, by the hundreds. And I would always go to the back and wait until Hundreds of students would be vaccinated. Just to see what would happen to them. <laughs> and one of them said, you're going to be poked anyway. Why are you in the back? Why don't you want to get rid of it? And I said, because I want to see for a few minutes how many of you drop that <laughs> before I take it. Uh, even as far as church reforms, I'm very prudent. I want to see a hundred churches bringing in something new and see how much more spiritual they get before I implement it in our church because testing is very important. Mm -hmm. And the Bible says, test the spirit. It says, test, examine everything carefully. Yeah, absolutely. In First Thessalonians and hold fast to that which is good. But if I may say something, and it's, it might sound funny, but it's not, I, 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 I take it to heart. I have a COVID doctrine. 
that I preach in our church. And I said it has three principles. The first one is God will protect us and we will not be infected by COVID. That's sermon point number one. You, you, yes. He's not done. It's, it's biblical. Second point of my sermon. If you get infected, God is the healer. He can heal you. And thirdly, if you don't get healed and you die, you go to heaven. <laughs> now, I'm not in favor of being reckless. And um, no, 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 no. Trust me. When it started, I was very cautious. I, but when I saw the politicians disregarding their own rules, when I saw that the mobs, they accused us in Chicago with mob action because we held services. And we created a six-foot bubble around each person attending the service because we had a large sanctuary and we could do that. And uh, they said mob action. But when the real mob was in action, they had no rules for that, no restrictions. So this hypocrisy and double standard, I mean, I flew, I, I fly quite often. I flew uh, in, in an airplane recently and um, I, I, I had a problem. I have asthma for many, many years and I cannot stand the mask for so long on my face. So I just lower it under my nose just to get a little bit of fresh air. And people around me complained. And the flight attendant came to say, sir, if you're not going to cover your nose, you're going to be out of this plane before we leave. And I said, okay, I, I put my mask over my nose. And then we weren't up, and everybody started drinking and eating without any masks. <laughs> and from the front, they said, you need to wear the mask in between bites <laughs> and sips. And I remember Charlie Chaplin doing something very fast on a, I mean, I remember putting the mask, getting a bite, putting the mask, getting a sip, putting the mask. You know, it would be hilarious and funny if it were not tragic. We're serious people, we are adults, we're not kids, we're not, this is not, this is not comedy. This is a, and doing that with me, an adult, husband and father, going on close to 60. I'm not in a park playing well, with children. And, and not to mention the fact that there's, there's debate even on the efficacy of masks and what they actually do and how they may do more harm than good. But nobody, you know, very few people want to even talk about that argument, which is also scientific. I will just say this. Some of you have been vaccinated and this is a Romans 14 thing. If you wrestled with it and you got vaccinated or you got vaccinated because of your profession or whatever, you are under no condemnation. Uh, I believe that's a Romans 14 issue. But I would say to all of you who are considering this, do your homework. Know, try to find out for sure what goes into the vaccine and understand, and this has been said by doctors, that you are in a clinical trial and that doesn't mean the vaccine can't do some good for people, but the science is debated. 
So some of the science in quotes is saying that people are benefiting from it. And then you hear reports out of Israel and the UK with people who got two shots and they're over 50% of the hospitalizations who have been double vaccinated in quotes. So I would just say, just do your best to do your homework. This is not the mark of the beast, this, but, but this is a form of control when it is mandated. You should have the freedom to choose whether or not you put something into your body. They're all big about talking about your body and your rights until it comes to this kind of stuff. So we need God's wisdom, and we're, we don't need to come down and judge one another. But there is a religious exemption as well. And if you feel that you're, you're biblically convinced that you should not take it, a really good letter has been produced with biblical arguments for it. I can give you a copy of it if you want. And pastors are able to support parishioners who are asking for that religious exemption if you need further support to prove that you attend a fellowship and all of that. Um, so I know that this is a, it's, it's, it, it's potentially a divisive issue, but I would just say this. I, I think your wisdom is well-founded. And I love your three-point sermon. They were clapping for point number one, a lot for point number two. But when you got to point number three, it wasn't so much... Everybody wasn't as excited. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. All right, next question. There are many teens and young adults today who believe that democratic socialism is a good thing and should be implemented in politics and, uh, by, and the government. Why is this problematic? How should we educate? Now... When we're talking about young people, they're very impressionable. And at that age, anything dealing with feelings and charity might influence them. We should turn them to real history and see that communism is never charitable. The redistribution of wealth in communism is not taking from the rich and giving to the poor. It's taking from the rich and give it to the government and give, it, give to the poor the bare minimum. So it is false, it is a lie, and we should talk to our young people in churches. We should have a brainstorming. We should call them to true history, not the propaganda that they learn in school. And uh, to be quite honest, it has to be done in the family too. I think parents should educate themselves. I've said something to people in our church recently because I've lost completely my respect for public school system and my trust in it. All my children were in public schools. Ours too, by the way. Yeah. But... I said to our people, better raise stupid than criminal. <laughs> better raise a generation of stupid people as far as the world is concerned than gang members, atheists, and communists. Yes. And 
we, we had some, some pretty good experiences in the public schools, and there's some wonderful Christian public school teachers, but, but it seems like the slide continues to move that way, and there's a lot of homeschoolers here tonight, but, but I would just say we, we had, a, we had an, a pretty good experience in Corona Norco School District, but it's getting worse and worse and worse, and I, and I understand um, you know, parents wanting to get their kids out, and I would just say the influence of social media on our teens and young adults uh, is bigger than you might suspect, and it shapes a lot of their thoughts and a lot of the pressures they feel. And sometimes they repost things just to fit in. And you want to talk about propaganda. It's another big arm of how this hits them. And, and even in movies where, you know, things are built a lot around emotion in movies. We talked a little bit about this. But a worldview is inevitably coming. Uh, and it's... And it's in, in most movies today, it's a worldview that's opposite the biblical view, but it brings you in with the emotion. And this is what they've done, chipped away at the, you know, the definition of marriage, the definition of family, till now, you know, you can watch a show and you just expect it now. You expect to get the message because it's coming, because they've been doing it for a while. Let's move on because... We only have a few minutes left. Recognizing the obvious propaganda everywhere in today's media, TV, movies, music, how do we reveal this to friends and family who don't see it? How do we wake them up? One by one, one moment by moment. You should be relentless. And we were talking about parents and uh, their children's education. It is time for parents to be active and not to be lazy. We've been raised in three or four generations of entertainment-oriented lives. We are obsessed with our vacations. We are obsessed with our free time, with our going out. With our, and a few generations did not invest in their children's education. And the main education forum is in the family. And don't uh, minimize the importance of educating one person, one child at a time. You might look at this ocean of people and say, how am I going to reach everybody? You do your thing in your little space and make a difference in your corner of the woods. And you're going to go through the whole forest in time. If each one of us will do our small part, uh, each detail uh, will be a wonderful, wonderful uh, painting. Greg Kogel likes to use the example that if you're having a debate with a friend over some of these ideas, just put a rock in their shoe uh, so that they're thinking about why they believe what they believe. And have they really done their homework, or are they just buying the narrative because that's the most popular thing? And even if you put a little pebble in their shoe, they'll feel it, and hopefully they'll be thinking about it. Next question. When you talk about the political wars that they are creating and inciting, and they who are behind pushing communism in America, who exactly are you referring to? The central government, specific leaders, demonic powers, who is the they? All of them. 
because this world is a reflection of the demonic powers, you see, there is a, a cloud all over the world, all around the world of demonic powers, the heavenly places. And you remember in the book of Daniel, when the message came from God, and uh, Archangel Gabriel wanted to bring it to uh, Daniel, uh, Archangel Michael had to breach that thick cloud and create an opening so that the missionary of God, the missionary angel of God, would bring the message to Daniel. So I, this is a projection of what's going on in the heavenly places. And uh, Archangel Gabriel said, the spirit of the king of Persia stood against me. Now, a human could not stand against an angel. That was a demonic power inspiring the king of Persia and controlling the puppet that was the king of Persia. So I refer to all of it. Uh, whether we talk about demonic, central government, local government. And let me give you an example. In Chicago, what they did, because we saw the application of it. When we started services, they wanted to incite hate against the church. And you started on May the 10th of 2020, right? May 10th, yes. And what they did, they restricted parking on the streets in the city of Chicago. In a cloudy, rainy, cold morning, at seven, by 7 o'clock in the morning on Sunday, people had to remove all their cars five blocks around the church. And they wanted to incite hate because they sent cards and say, we are restricting parking because this church does not respect us and our regulations. It backfired because we didn't use parking around the church on the streets. We had... Uh, a private parking at a bank with about the, the potential of parking around 200 cars over there, and people parked there, it didn't affect us. But neighbors came to the church and said, we're on your side, and then gave us donations. <laughs> and, and, when, and when that backfired, they immediately removed the sign, they let people park all over the place, but at 5 o'clock, and we had the service at 6, they blocked the entrance in the private parking, which is illegal. Police can block the entrance in a private property only when they strongly suspect a crime is being committed there. What crime can be committed in an empty parking uh, place? But they, and they did this to try to keep you from doing church services. Yes. Because they, that was their main concern, right? That a church would gather and give hope right. to people. Right. Okay. We're, this is going to be our last question. What can you say on current end times prophecies? In other words, if you think about the end times, and, and, I, and I would imagine, just so that we have balance here tonight, there were people in Nazi Germany, there were people in Romania, there were people in many times that could have said, this is the end, uh, even the American you know, Revolution and all of that. When you see hard times, you can't help but think that you may be the generation that's going to see the return of Christ. Would you tie some of this to prophecy, or do you think that, what's your view on that? Uh, you got to believe we live in the end times. I do, but... You know, uh, one person was asked, how did your business fail? And he says, slowly and slowly and then suddenly. Um, 
Now, <laughs> don't underestimate the fury of Satan and his desperation of doing things at speed. Remember this, and we were talking about Hitler and Nazi Germany. When Hitler took power in 1933, Germany was in terrible shape. Unemployment, famine, uh, they still pay the price for the First World War. Now, I believe Hitler and Nazi Germany were demonic-inspired, a demonic-inspired government, and we have all the evidence in place. Now, inspired by the devil, in 12 short years, Germany became the premier economic power, the premier scientific power in the world. They dominated the whole world. America became an island. And thank God for America. If America did not go into Second World War, we would all speak German today. Because their path to an atomic bomb was at hand. And we know that America and Russia did it with the help of German scientists. They were closest to it. And if they had it, no matter what happened in the field, we know Hitler would have used it in mass. So in 12 years, he also had enough time for a five years world war. So don't underestimate Satan's syndrome. Acting fast, and now you think still it doesn't look like the end of the world. But if it starts, it's going to happen fast. All of a sudden. And I think there's some verses that, that make a case for that. That there's, there's going to be a uh, rapidness. Once the, the clock starts, it's going to move very rapidly. And we're going to have great tribulation that's going to be within just a small window of time. So um, I'm sure we probably have more questions, but um, we've hit our time. And so I, I would just say this. You, you brought up the Prince of Persia, and um, Persia was known as Persia until I think the early 1900s, and today it's Iran. Uh, we know that demonic powers work, and there's doctrines of demons, and there's, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And I think if, if I read that question right, put, put it back up for a second. I think it had to do with prayer. Besides speaking up in prayer, what should we do to counter this infiltrate, evil infiltration? So I want to give you the last word. Maybe you can talk about the, the role of prayer and um, activism, if we can put it that way. How do those two align? And, and what, what would you want everyone to take away who's here participating tonight? I think we should fight this war on two fronts. We should fight on the front of evangelization and winning souls for the kingdom of God. That should be our most, uh, utmost priority. Amen. And then we should preserve the doctrine, the faith that was given to the saints once and for all. 
It is an aggressive war of conquering souls. And let's do that for the kingdom of God. Even if we don't change anything in this world. If we win a soul, that's a territory. You see, we don't fight for a geographical territory. The kingdom of God is not that you show it on a map and say it's here or it's there. The territory that we fight for is spiritual, is the human soul. So this is the aggressive battle that we should uh, fight in this world. But then a defensive battle of preserving the faith, preserving the doctrine as it is in the scriptures. Because if Satan wants to do something, is pervert our faith to what is not. Pervert our Christ. To something that Christ is not. And the, there will be uh, false Christs. You call him Christ. But there's not. Because it's not the, the Christ of the Bible. So we should defend against the infiltration of doctrine. And we should attack to conquer souls for the kingdom of God. And with prayer. And living the life of witnesses. Of holiness. I think we should succeed. Amen. I heard you just say the church is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. We are to guard the gospel entrusted to us, and we are to protect the gospel and protect essential Christian doctrine. And we need to go out and on the offensive and win people, because when we win people, hearts are changed. And that's, when, that's how true change really comes. Amen. Well, Pastor, we have been delighted to have you. Um, you have uh, a wonderful personality. You are a dynamic man that the Lord has anointed. Uh, you're, you just finished a big building project in Chicago with God's favor. Uh, you got a new church built. Uh, you have a wonderful congregation. It looks like a very uh, great family. And just if you go to Living Truth, just know this. Their morning service goes from 9 to noon. So I don't want to hear any whining if we go 15 <laughs> minutes over on a Sunday morning. Now, their first, your first hour is prayer from 9 to 10. And then you do the service from 10 to noon, some in Romanian, some in English. And then you do an evening service every Sunday as well, where 80% of the congregation comes back for that evening service. So that, that's wonderful. Um, just a quick, we'll see if this is providential, but... Uh, Pastor, uh, he and his church built a 70,000 square foot building, over 70,000 square feet on two acres, four levels, a terrace for uh, outdoor stuff, a whole area for the kids and the youth, a thousand seat fellowship hall, and uh, 1,400 seat sanctuary on two acres. Um, wow. I'm just saying, wow. Chicago. City of Chicago. You have to. <laughs> and, yeah, so that, that's speaking to me right now. <laughs> anyway, so we'll see what happens there. But um, he, he came into this world to enter into our pain. The time he arrived on the scene, Rome was dominating Israel. It was an ugly time. There was a lot of ugly stuff going on. And Jesus lived the perfect life that we could never live, died on the cross, to pay our sin debt, rose from the grave and completed the work 
rose for our justification, and he's still saving people all around the world. In some of these countries we talked about tonight, there are, there's underground churches that are thriving amidst persecution. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, then you're living only for the temporal, and this is all you got. And if you look around a little bit, we're not seeing a whole lot of confidence in our human leaders. But Jesus Christ saves, he'll transform you, he'll give you a new heart and a new start, and he'll give you hope no matter what you're going through, whether it's good times or bad times or something in between. And he is a prayer away, but he does call upon you to repent and trust in him and say, you're going to be my king. I'm going to believe on him for my salvation. And so if you have not made that decision to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know why you would wait another second. Run to him. If you're a backslidden Christian, or if you've been living in a ton of fear, and there's many things that, you know, are fearful these days, get closer to him. He is the balm for our souls, the ultimate healer for all that troubles us, and he's prepared a place for us. Make sure you know him. If you're backslidden, get back to where you need to be. Don't go another day without walking close with him. And he'll, he'll take care of all the stuff, and he'll keep those in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because you trust in him. So we're going to be up here, uh, and we'll, we'd be happy to interact with any of you if you have some additional things you want to ask us. Pastor Christian will hang around just for a little bit. But this is the end of the evening, so I just want to close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for all that you've done tonight. Thank you for Pastor Christian and the insights that you've given to him to share with us. We are encouraged. Uh, we want to fight the good fight of faith. We want to take hold of eternal life. We want to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Would you help us, Lord, when we feel like we just don't have it, when we don't, we don't feel like we can be the person that can be the change agent. You can do the impossible through your people. You can do all things through us. You strengthen your people, Lord. You are gracious to us. So bring confidence and boldness, maybe a fresh uh, filling of boldness to your people, a fresh joy, despite what's going on, that we leave here with a supernatural, infectious, winsome joy that overflows uh, out of our lives to others. Give us hope. That hope's the anchor of our souls, no matter which way the winds are blowing, and they're going to shift and change always in this world. That hope is our anchor. Anchor your people to that hope tonight. We love you, we worship you, and we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Good night. <laughs>